Today, uh, um, we're going to continue with our series on, uh, on 1 Corinthians, and um, we'll be looking at chapter 15 today. Okay, we're almost at the finish line. Okay, how many of you have been running right from chapter 1? Okay, many, probably you missed out a few Sundays, you can catch, uh, you know, uh, the service, I mean, the, the, the online, the audio online, and also download the outline. It's been, a, it's been a wonderful study for all of us, and we've been going chapter by chapter, looking at these verses, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's great that we can actually learn about, uh, about Corinth, the geography of it, the culture of it, the, what happened in those times, and also God's heart. You know, for the local church, and um, you know, some of the problems we see, some of the challenges we see, that it's there in, in today's church as well, and also God's heart and God's desire, you know, for um, overcoming those challenges and how those challenges can be overcome. Right. So today we look at chapter 15, and um, uh, last time we looked at chapter 14 about the proper usage of gifts. Right, um, gifts like tongues and uh, interpretation of tongues and prophecy and so on. Like, how do we use that in a church setting, in a local church setting? So we looked at that, and today we're going to look at chapter 15, which talks about two main things. You know, two main issues. Right? Is there life after death? Right. Many people have that question. You know, I know, I know. The church talks about it, and I know we sing about it, but really, man, I really don't know. You know, is there life after death, right? And, uh, you know, Paul addresses that. And sometimes when we talk about death, we're not very uh, comfortable. You know, why talk about death on a Sunday morning here? You know, it's a celebration service after all. We just got up and we came to church. Why talk about death? But the fact is that Paul was, you know, didn't hold back talking about death. And the church did not hold back talking about it. And I think it's a very important aspect of Christian life, we need to know, right? And it's a question the world is battling with. And here's the answer, right? Very certain terms, this is what it is, right? So uh, what happens after death? Is there life or is it just, just, you know, end, game over, you know? And the second thing is, what kind of, oh, if, if there is life after death, okay, so how will I be? You know, will I be just floating around like a wispy smoke somewhere? Or, you know, what is it like? And, and if you look at popular media, if you look at today's media, you know, Hollywood, and I think you, there's, you know, a lot of theories. Every, we are fed with a lot of things. Okay, this is what it is. Great white light, you open up and everybody's happy. Or, or you know, different kinds of things. So it's important that we as believers know, hey, this is what it is, right? And, uh, and so we're going to look at that as what, what happens to us physically or, you know, what happens to us when we are raised from the dead? You know, if I do believe that uh, I'll be raised from the dead. So... Um, so we're going to look at seven things, actually, um, and so we'll dive right in, right? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, we're going to read from uh, verses 1 to 8, and then we're going to um, look at these seven things, right? Okay, verses 1 to 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to be 
to maintain the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Right? So here in these eight verses, Paul, you know, in many ways, he's saying, uh, he's using different terms. He's saying, I preach to you this gospel. I declare to you. I deliver to you. And so on. And he says, you know, this gospel that I received from Christ, I presented to you and you believed in it. And he talks about the essence of what the gospel is. And, he's, and he says, this is it. You know, verses 3 and 4, he says, you know, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. So he's saying, this is good news. And he's explaining, you know, Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. And this is good news. This is the gospel. So which means that all that his death, burial, and resurrection resulted in is the gospel. Whatever it impacted and what we brought about, that's the good news. And that's the gospel. And that is what we proclaim this morning even as we took part in communion. The death of the Lord on the cross. The burial, the resurrection. We just proclaimed it. And we are, you know, stated in scripture. We are instructed to do that till he comes again. So with the belief that he will come again, you know, we proclaim that. This is good news. This is the Evangelion, the good news. The second thing that we see here is that everything took place according to the scriptures. His death was not something random. His burial, it was not something random. Everything, you know, if we look into the scriptures, we'll be just amazed to see the detail, the amazing detail that is there, the prophecies that are there, there, and the details which are there referring to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord. Amazing. Right? The, the day on which the resurrection happened, the way in which he died, what happened to his clothes, everything there. Amazing details. Right? So he's saying, hey, it happened according to the scriptures. He died according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. So the surety of the scriptures, it has already been prophesied, it is written. And then he says, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay. Can everybody say, hold fast? Right. It means secure, to lock something and to keep a firm possession of. So Paul is saying, you know, you hold fast to that gospel that was preached. Now you look back at your own lives and think, and, and just think about it, process it in your own mind. Am I holding fast to the gospel? Right? The day when I believed, maybe it was I mean, a few years ago, a few decades ago, am I holding fast to the gospel? Am I holding it firm? And the reason he says there is this, which means there could be times when something, you know, comes, there's an influence of an enemy which is, who's out there, comes to take away that seed which is sown, to influence, right, to infiltrate. I've heard many people who say, you know, you know, those days, brother, those days, you know, I, I, I used to believe, but somehow, no, after marriage and all children and everything has changed. It's not like that before. Why not? You know, why not? What changed? 
Did the gospel change? Did the Lord Jesus change? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We changed. You know, sometimes we think, okay, I'm, I'm in this season, I'm believing, uh, um, you know, I'm here in this church, um, and uh, man, I'm just looking, I'm just waiting for the time when I can just go to this university, you know, somewhere out there, and, uh, and uh, uh, is my world be going to be the same? Oh, let's see, we'll go, we'll see, you know. I need to be part of the culture there. I need to be part of everything happening there. You know, now why, why do I say that with surety? Because I thought like that. Right? Oh man, I know when I was a college student, it used to be good. But then now I'm in a corporate setting. I'm in a workplace. And, uh, you know, I need to go with the flow. I can't hold on. I need to make some compromise here and there. You know, I need to make things fit here. Yes, we need to be wise. And yes, we need to know when to speak and when to, you know, not speak. But are we holding on? Is that a firm possession, the gospel that was preached? You know, because if, if not, things can keep chipping away, eroding away. And we come to a place and we say, hey, it doesn't matter. This really doesn't matter. You know, those days, yes, um, it was a good, good phase in my life, but then now it doesn't really matter. I had friends, they're part of a youth group, and it's very disheartening to hear such stories, you know, like friends say, man, I, I know, but I've given it all up. I've given it all up, yeah. I've gone back. So Paul is saying, hold fast, keep secure, keep a firm position, position of it. There could be enemies, there could be influences, and otherwise... You know, the fact that you believed at one point doesn't actually hold good. At some point I believed, but now I don't. It doesn't hold good. So Paul is saying, unless you believed in vain, if you don't, you know, if you don't hold fast, that, that memory of that decision or memory of that belief, you know, it, it's, it's in vain. It's empty. It's a waste. So I believe that, you know, Scripture is reminding us you know, you could be a student, you could be, um, you could be a working professional, you could be, you know, person thinking that, you know, if I move from this surrounding, then it's going to be different. Right? What I believe will be different. Even if there's an iota of a thought like that, just rebuke that thought, resist that. That's not from God. Right? That's a fleshly thought, that's a carnal thought, and that's, that's the thought of the enemy. So just resist that, rebuke that, and say, I will stay firm. Okay, can you say that? You know, I will stay firm. I will hold on. I will take a firm possession of the gospel that I receive. Amen. Let's look at verses 5 to 8. And uh, here, you know, Paul is saying that, he's saying that there were many witnesses. He's just giving even more proof. You know that this is not some story that was cooked up, this gospel. It is a historical fact. The birth, it was historical fact. The death, yes. The burial, yes. And the resurrection also. He goes on to say why. He lists down at least six people, six groups, you know, or individuals. He talks about Peter. He talks about the 12. He talks about the 500 brethren. And then he says, you know, uh, the greater part remain to the present. So at the time of writing of this epistle, Corinthians, there were eyewitnesses who were actually alive. So he's saying, you know, you check with them, right? He planted this church, 
And he's saying, you know, there are, you remember, you know, those 500 who were eyewitnesses, they are still alive. Why don't you check with them? You know, if you're thinking of leaving that gospel, if you're thinking of, you know, some other worldview that is pressurizing or influencing you, check with these eyewitnesses. They are there. You have indisputable proof that the gospel is what it is. And it can be held in any court of law. You know, so much people who are in fact antagonistic to the Lord Jesus, you know, like his brothers. We, we see that in John chapter 7, and the brothers did not believe, but then we see in the book of Acts that they actually came to a point of believing in him. Saul, so many eyewitnesses. So Paul talks about that and saying, you know, this is indisputable. This is truth. This is reality. So keep a strong grip on it. He's saying, you know, I persecuted the church, so, you know, I'm not, I'm the least of the apostles and so on. He's saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am, right? His grace has enabled me, empowered me to be who I am today. And it's interesting, he goes on to say, but I labored more abundantly, right? So there's this link between grace and then the works that follow being empowered by grace, He's saying, but I labored more abundantly than they all, than his contemporaries. And he's saying, even that laboring, it was not, it's because of the grace of God. Yet not I, he says, yet not I, but his grace in me. So the thing is, Paul is saying that, you know, this is true. Yes, it's the grace of God. The grace of God makes us who, are, who we are and, and who we become. But also, we need to labor, we need to do our part, we need to work, having received the grace of God, right? So we have the call of God, we have the vision and call of God, and gifts are being stirred up, and we say, oh, I've received this by the grace. But God is looking at us and saying, what are we doing about it? Right? Even that doing comes enabled by the grace of God. So, really... We need to determine what is our response. Right? The grace of God that has been given to me, will it go in vain? Or will I fulfill? Will I do something for the kingdom of God? Will I accomplish His purposes? And everything that He's planned, everything that He's purposed, will I fulfill that? Now, that depends on you know, us co-laboring as we are enabled by the grace of God. Amen? Right? So, if, if, you know, we, we know, you know uh, as we've been journeying through as a church, we know individually what is the grace of God upon your life. You know, what He has called out you for, what, is the, what are the gifts of the Spirit that He's placed in you, and what is the calling? You know, some things that you are drawn to, maybe it's compassion, maybe it's leadership, maybe it's administration, maybe it's, you know, church planting, and, and so on. Just co-labor with it. You know, let it not be tomorrow, let it not be, you know, next time or just co-labor with the grace of God. So God extends His grace aligned to His call and gifting on our lives. So our response is key. Our response is very important. The third thing Paul talks about is about the resurrection of the dead. Okay? So we are in verse 12, verses 12 to 19. Okay? Now if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes. And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. See, nominal Christianity or you know, cultural Christianity refuses to, to consider the death and the resurrection of the Lord. With the same intensity, or, uh, it doesn't look at Scripture the same way you know, it, has been, uh, it has been highlighted by the Holy Spirit. The resurrection of the Lord. So he's saying, how can, you, some of you, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? How can some of you say that? So the, the Corinthian church seemed to have some kind of a belief. Yeah, I'm a believer. I'm born again. But then uh, some kind of worldview or some belief there, some teaching there, which seems to suggest you know, to them that uh, there is no resurrection of the dead. This life is all we have. Probably because of the culture. right? Because it's a very hedonistic culture there. Eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That kind of a thing. So probably because of that, uh, that kind of a you know, worldview just crept into church as well. So, so we see that. So Paul is, uh, you know, very strongly saying, how can you say that, uh, you know, there is no resurrection? If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, then how can you say that there is no resurrection? And this is the logic. This is the reason he's saying, you know, if Christ is not risen, then there is actually no resurrection from the dead. Okay. Just understand that. If Christ is not risen, there is no resurrection. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then we are actually false witnesses because we've been preaching that. We are preaching that God raised Christ from the dead. So we've been preaching that. So we are false witnesses. If the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, our faith is futile. Our faith is empty. We are still in our sins. No. He's saying, you know, see the connection. If Christ is not risen... We are still in our sins. If the dead do not rise again, we are still in our sins. Then we are, you know, we are perishing. Then all those who actually fell asleep, he uses the term fallen asleep. You know, there also he uses the term fallen asleep because he knows the hope that they will wake again. He uses the term fallen asleep. So all those who have fallen asleep have actually perished. You know, it's, it's completely empty. What are we talking about here? You know, why are we playing church? You know, why are we gathering here? You know, why are we doing this communion? Why? Why should we do all this? It's indeed a waste. So we see that for the believer, for the Christian, you know, death, resurrection from the dead, Christ's resurrection from the dead is something which is key. It is central. If I don't believe that, then it's, such, it's, it's just a nominal a form of a cultural Christianity. And it's empty. It is waste. There is no hope at all. 
So, you know, Paul is in fact challenging us. Scripture is challenging us today. What is, you know, my take on this? You know, if we have some questions, if we have some intellectual questions, theological questions, you know, let's sit with God. Let's sit with the Holy Spirit. God says, let us reason together. He's more than willing to show us abundant proof from Scripture so that we can stand with the same conviction that Paul had and, and, and all the early church and all the disciples had, and they did great things. Right? So the Christian faith depends entirely on this truth, Christ's resurrection from the dead. And verse 19, it's again very... Um, you know, important statement. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Really. You know, all this church thing, you know, all this values thing, and all this testimony and taking a stand, and it's a waste. Saying we are of all men the most pitiable, guys. Why should we do all this? In fact, in, the, in, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about kind of some of the challenges that he went through. And later in the chapter, he, he talks about that, some of the things, some of the, you know, some of the difficulties that he goes through and all that. And it's mind-blowing that he takes a stand. He's taken a stand irrespective of danger to his own life and irrespective of you know, something that's happening to him in the, in the, in the natural. He, he doesn't care, saying, because I'm convinced so the challenge to the church is, you know, are we convinced? Are we convinced of Christ's resurrection from the dead? Are we convinced that, you know, that there is a hereafter? And it's not some science fiction. Right? It's the truth of Scripture. Are we convinced about that? Right? The good news involves that. The good news is that we live Life with hope in Christ, not only here, but also in the hereafter. Amen? Amen. So this life is not, that's not it. There is more. You just turn to your neighbor and say, there is more. Hey, you need to do joy, joyfully, you know. This is not it. This is not the end. Yeah, you can say that again. This is not the end. There is a sequel. <laughs> there is more. You know, that's the hope that we have. Right? Hallelujah. And in the first Thessalonians, Paul talks about how, uh, how we should grieve as those with hope and not as with those who do not have hope. You know, even in the face of death and even in the face of um, you know, people passing away and so on. Okay, we move on to chap um, the same chapter, verse 20. Verse 20 to 28 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. 
Verse 28, now when all things are made subject to him, then the son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Right? So verse 20 says, he just de declares, now Christ is risen from the dead. Christ is risen from the dead. Right? He just challenges, he just declares it. And then he says, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that word first fruits in Greek is interesting. It means a beginning, a beginning of a thing. And in, in, in fact, it was used in secular uh, settings of those times as an entrance fee, right? And the Greek word apache, meaning an entrance fee or, um, and it also, the first fruits, when the, in the Old Testament we talk about, you know, the, the offering of the first fruit and we see that they would bring a sheaf of grain and that would be representative of the harvest that would follow. In anticipation of the harvest that would follow, the first fruit. So that's the same understanding here. He's saying Christ has become the first fruits. Why? Because there's going to be a harvest. All of us are going to follow. We are going to be like him. Right? Christ is risen. Christ is risen from the dead. Because there is a, there is a change. You know, there is a change that has happened. He is risen. He is alive. And he has become the first fruits. And, and the thing is this. You know, what is interesting? You know, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Yes or no? Yes. Jairus' daughter came back raised from the dead. And in the book of Acts, we read about Lydia who was raised from the dead. Then in, uh, in the Lord Jesus, uh, the, you know, uh, he's going uh, with the, the widow from Nain, her son, raised from the dead. Now, what is the difference? Why are they not the first fruits? Right? The thing is this. Yeah, they died again. Absolutely. <laughs> They died again. But the fact is, when Jesus rose again, he rose in, in a body that was not flesh and blood. Incorruptible. Glorious in power. Right? So that's what scripture talks about, that he did not you know, rise again with a corruptible body, a body that decays again, but is an incorruptible body. Right? So, um, so let's move on. Let's see that... Um, as we see this, this, this scripture again, we see that he is the first fruits and um, this resurrection of the Lord Jesus represents our resurrection. Represents our in resurrection. We can live in anticipation of our resurrection. You know. If indeed we have put our trust in Jesus, if indeed that we have, if we have received salvation. Now that's the, that's the thing there. That's the clause. If indeed we sleep, we are asleep in Christ, we will rise again. So this resurrection of the Lord is actually a representation of our resurrection. Hallelujah. That's the hope that we have. That he rose again from the dead. So therefore we can say that I will rise again from the dead. Right? So if you look at some of the lives that the, the early church or even in, in our contemporary times, people lived, they were so convinced of this truth that, yes, I will rise again from the dead. So they did not fear for their own safety or fear for their own lives. They faced death boldly. You know, Extra-biblical accounts talk about how they would sing 
even when they were thrown to the lions. And how do you do that? Either you're out of your mind, right? You're just totally disconnected from reality to be able to do that. They would sing. And they would pray for the soldiers who would actually be escorting them. Pray for them. Who would do that? Right? So, the Lord's rep resurrection represents our resurrection. And then he goes on to talk about how the Lord will come. And then talks about the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. And all enemies are brought under his feet. And the Lord, and, and then he talks about death being the last enemy that will be brought under the feet of the Lord Jesus. There will be no more death. You know, interestingly, how, you see how death is talked about as an enemy. Right? And the Lord is victorious over this enemy as well. The last enemy, that which is death itself. And the Lord will live in a willingly, uh, in a submission to the Father. The Good News Bible says like this, the verse 27. The scripture says, God put all things under his feet. It is clear, of course, that the words all things do not include God himself who puts all things under Christ. So it talks about how the Lord Jesus will live uh, or will continue to rule in uh, willing subjection to the Father and so on. Right? Then, let's, if you look at verses 29 to 34, uh, we read about something else. Right? Uh, verses 29, and uh, it talks about how we can live with this resurrection in view. Right? How we can have this hope with this resurrection, with this perspective right, in the, on the horizon. Right? Verses 29 to 34. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have found in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If in the manner of men... I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. What advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So he's talking about, you know, in verse 29, he's talking about a practice which was not there in the church, but then which seemed to be there in, in, in that society that, you know, that people were taking baptism on behalf of those who were already dead, baptized for the dead, right? So Paul is actually referring to that in saying, you know, you, you're saying there is no resurrection, but you know, look, look at this. Even them, even they seem to have some kind of faith that they will be a hereafter. Right? So he's, he's not saying that, you know, that's a biblical stand, that's a scriptural thing, you must do that. No, he's saying even they, he's using the word they, even they, right? Um, if, why do they do that if the dead do not rise at all? And then he talks about his life. He says, you know, I live in danger. I die daily. He says, I faced all these difficulties I faced. Um, from Ephesus, he writes this. So he says, you know, why should I endure all this? I face beasts in Ephesus. Why should I endure all this? I put my life in danger all the time, every day. So why should I endure this? Why should I go through this if the dead do not rise at all? Why should we go through this? Right? So, so and then he goes on to th say in verse 33 and 34, he's saying, you know, be careful. Evil company corrupts good habits. 
So probably in Conan there was, you know, maybe that, that the worldview of that culture there, of society there was infiltrating the church, or maybe, you know, the, something like the Sadducees believed and Sadducees did not believe in, uh, in the resurrection. So maybe, you know, there was some teaching from that group. But he's saying, you know, be careful who you are influenced by. Evil company corrupts good habits. This is not the gospel that he preached, right? So he preached the gospel, they held on to it, but something was happening that was influencing them. So he's saying, hold fast. Hold fast. Don't be influenced by these things. Be scriptural. Be aligned with scripture. So, you know, our application, you know, how do we live this? We apply, how, if we want to apply this truth, we must live as people who believe in and are convinced of the resurrection. You know, just draw a line in the sand today. Just, you know, put that stake down and say, you know, this is what it is. I see it in scripture and I believe it. Because the thing is, sometimes we can be atheists in certain sections. Right? Yeah, we have received the new life. We, we believe that. You know, we've received, we've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. But certain portions of Scripture, we can be atheists. Oh, I, I don't know about that. He's saying, you know, you be convinced. We are being encouraged, exhorted to live as people who, who are convinced of resurrection. Second Corinthians um, chapter 4 and verses 16 to 18, he's saying, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, which while we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So his gaze is eternal. His focus is on things that are not temporary, but heavenly, on the eternal things. And that is what caused him to live the way he lived. If we want to live victoriously, if we want to live with hope, if we want to live with joy, you know, let that be our gaze as well. That we will focus, we will, we will keep that heavenly perspective. That there is the hereafter, there is the resurrection, and that is the hope that we have. So, also we see that we need to, you know, to, again, we need to guard our faith in the gospel, and when it comes to things of the resurrection, that we guard our faith, that we hold on to it. And we are reminded, you know, in the, the Lord Jesus, when he talked about the parable of the sower, he says... Yes, the sower comes and sees a sword, but the birds of the air come and take it out. And what does the seed represent? It represents the word of God, right? So the birds of the air come, take it out. Then something else comes, tribulation. For the sake of the word, tribulation, troubles. And because of which it is burnt. And then he talks about you know, cares of the world, lust for other things. Cares of the world, even cares of the world. Influence, infiltrate, and try to uproot that word. So it's our responsibility as believers to really guard the revelation that God has given you. Guard that revelation. You know, when I used to live a life which was um, kind of a double, double, uh, a double role, you know, weekends, a kind of a different life, and weekdays, a different life. I realized one thing, 
hey, I'm not strong as I was before. As a believer, you know, living this dual kind of life, some of those things, some of those truths which the Holy Spirit drilled into me and, and it was inscribed on my heart, those were coming loose now. And when I looked in, I saw that, hey, some things are not there. There's a faint memory. Seems like a footprint, but then it's not there. Right? So that's what Paul is talking about. Hey, you be convinced. You be strong. You be strong in it. Whatever God says, whatever Scripture is talking about, whatever Scripture is proclaiming, you be strong in it. Yes, there will be chances. Yes, there will be you know, opportunities for the enemy to come and influence, but you be strong. Amen? Right. And um, just two more things. You know, he says um, in verse 35 to 49, says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that it will be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So what is Paul saying here? He's talking about the fact that, um, that we will receive a glorified body, um, that we will receive something that, um, that is not similar to the bodies that we, that we have right now. Right? So he goes on to say that in verse 42. He says that so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, the second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. He's talking about that contrast between the natural and the spiritual. And he's saying, this is how the body is buried. This is how the body is, you know, it's sown. And he's using the word sown. It is sown in corruption and, and dishonor and so on. You know, you, you know in, in weakness and all flaws and, and limitations. But when it's raised up, he's saying that it is raised immortal, incorruptible, spiritual, and raised up in glory. You know, and that's, that's the thing. He says, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, referring to Adam, you know, we, we inherited the sinful nature. Right? As we have borne that image, so also we will bear the image of the heavenly man. 
right? Referring to the Lord Jesus. Right? Is that encouraging or not? Yeah, it is, right? And in fact, in 1 John 3 and verse 2, he says, For we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Right? So I know that, uh, you know, um, some of us have gone through loss in these last few months and this year. And, and that's the thing, you know, we've seen death up close and we've been part of the funeral and so on. But, but the hope that we have is this, you know, as they bore the image of the first Adam of the man of dust, they will bear the image of the heavenly man. Like if they indeed, you know, fell asleep in the Lord, right? If they received the Lord as Savior. Right? And that's the hope that you and I have today, right? Um, that we will be raised incorruptible, that we will be raised in glory, and it will be a glorified body. It will be a spiritual body, right? Um, the last section, verses 50 to 58, um, Paul says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We can't just help but say hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Right? Saying, oh death, where is your sting? What a triumphant declaration. Oh Hades, you know, where is your victory? Death is swallowed up in victory. For this corruption must put on in corruption. And, and this encouragement and exhortation at the very end is saying, you know, continue on. Continue on. He's saying, be steadfast. Let nothing shake you from your faith. Be steadfast. Be established. Unshakable. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, sometimes when we go through this, it's like, go through this journey, you know, we lose all our joy and so much effort and so on. We lose our peace, we lose our joy. Paul is encouraging, saying, be abounding. Let it be always increasing. Let it be on the increase, the work of the Lord. Abounding, knowing that your labor, your work is never in vain. Is never in vain in the Lord. So that's an encouragement for us this morning that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. This life that we see is not all there is. There is a hereafter. And um, yeah, so in this chapter, Paul talks about that and lays down this certainty of resurrection from the dead. And he talks about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And he says, so also we will. So also we will be, you know. Um, interestingly, you know, at, at funerals, you know, we... Um, 
just recently, a couple of funerals, interesting conversations happen. Just sitting there and, and one gentleman asked me, you know, like, um, he just asked, you know, we were just talking, just getting to know, and then he just said, um, you know, I don't know what it will be like when I die. Oh, I feel a little somewhat, you know, they put all this sand over me, and, you know, I, uh, what, what if I feel something at that time? He's a medical doctor, actually. But, so I said, uh, why, do, why do you ask? I said, no, I just, I always have that, you know, kind of a feeling. What will happen? What if you know, I open my eyes and see that it's all dark? And I was sharing with him, you know, this is what Scripture says. This is what it says. You know, the Lord Jesus came and he died on the cross. He took your sin away and he rose again. And he removed that, what was separating you from, from him. So that you can be with him. So when you close your eyes here, you will be with the Lord. Right? To be present, absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So that's the certainty of those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus. So I said, ah, he said, yeah, yeah. I asked him, no, do you, have you ever made a, you know, decision to follow the Lord Jesus? You know, he was kind of, he said, I'm a believer. <laughs> I said, yeah, then, um, you know, this is the reality of scripture. You know, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear death. Yes, it's an enemy, but that enemy is conquered. Right. And, uh, Another conversation is about, you know, how will we be? It was interesting. I was just reading this, you know, as reading through 15, and all these conversations happen, you know. Another funeral setting again, and, and this conversation, you know, will people be able to recognize others, you know? And how can we recognize, you know, how will we be? And, uh, and again, the opportunity to share from Scripture, you know, this is what the Bible says. This is so we can believe. And, uh, and the thing is this, that we need to have made a commitment to the Lord Jesus to experience this glorious hope. Right? So I just want to ask, you know, if there's anyone here and you don't have that assurance, you don't have that reality, you know, you can, it's very simple, you can invite Jesus into your heart and have that assurance you know, nobody drilled into, into us. You know, the, the assurance is given by the Holy Spirit in your heart that you're a child of God, that you will be with Him. Right? You don't have to fear death. So if there's anyone here and you've not yet made that decision, you, know, you can make that prayer today, right now. And for those of us who've been troubled by you know, thoughts of death and what will happen. May the Holy Spirit comfort you even as you hold on to the truth. Right? May the fear of death be removed from you. May the fear of death be removed from you. Right? And I, I just hope that, you know, this going through this chapter, it clarified a lot of things. Maybe there are more questions and, you know, just dig into the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit will, will clarify, answer, and establish us in the present truth so that we will be strong, established, unshakable, immovable, and abounding in the work of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Why don't we pray? Uh, 
Maybe I'll just call it ABR pen. Let's just. So if there's anyone here and you want to make that prayer, you know, saying, you know, I've been troubled by all this thought about death. You know, it always freaks me out. I never go for funerals because I'm scared of death. And um, you've never invited Jesus into your heart. You know, why don't you take this time, this moment to invite Jesus? Just talk to him as you would talk to the person next to you. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe in my heart that you died on the cross for my sins. And I confess with my mouth that you rose again from the dead. So that I can rise again from the dead. And so God, this morning, I put my trust in you. I place my life in your hands. I thank you this life is not all there is a hereafter and what comes hereafter I trust in you and I place my life in your hands I thank you now is there anyone who made that prayer for the first time ever you know just put your hand up I just want to pray with you is anyone who made that prayer for the first time first time ever okay uh, our ushers will just give you a welcome packet I mean um, a resource packet those two people there and anyone else this side Anyone else? Okay. If you have prayed and if you've not raised your hand, you know, just ask the ushers on the way out. You know, I prayed that prayer and, uh, and, and take that resource packet and just helps you get started. And you can, you know, meet with us after the service as well. Right? For the rest of us, you know, let that be that freedom. May we be set free from the fear of death. May we have that surety of the resurrection of the Lord. May we have that surety of the resurrection, of our own resurrections. And all those people who have gone by, you know, there is that hope. That maybe you've been grieving about someone who died in the family. And there is that hope that we will see them again if they made that choice to follow Jesus. So what a glorious hope. What a glorious hope. speak to us and talk to us and... then came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no began to breathe out 
worship leaders, prayer leaders, just come up and just be here and uh, for those of us who want prayer, you know, you uh, feel free to stay back and be prayed for, right? Uh, and we are here to just pray and whatever the needs could be, or maybe some needs are so sensitive that you don't want to share, that's fine. We just pray and we just believe God to break every chain. Amen. Amen. We have the living hope. So, Okay, that's it. Anyone else? Worship leaders, prayer leaders, if you're here, you can just come up and be here. So, um, you could come and pray for. free to come over and pray for. We're just going to close the service right now. And uh, those of you who want to leave can leave. But um, those who have a need and you want to be prayed for, right? Don't hesitate to come forward and be prayed for. And those who made that decision to follow Christ, um, come forward and just be prayed for as well. Now that would be great. So let's keep us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, TV programs, publications, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, please visit apcwo.org slash Bible College. Please remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the app or Google Play stores.